guy. Ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing and a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got John Havlick. But the big thing that we learned, and at least from my perspective over there, was the winning of the hearts and minds and really getting, you know, with the Armed Forces of Philippines forces out in the lead, doing good stuff and us helping them out in any way we could and winning the hearts and minds of the people. And they really responded well to that. John, thanks for making time. Thanks, Jess. Appreciate you having me on today. So uh, let's go for the 30-second elevator pitch about uh, your background and what you're up to these days. I... uh, I was a Navy SEAL for uh, almost uh, 29 and a half years. I uh, did 31 years total in the Navy, Went finally retired uh, in November of 2014. And since then, I've kind of gotten into the uh, public speaking, motivational aspect of uh, the business, uh, trying to do something very unique and kind of out of character for me. And, uh, and I've hooked up with a uh, good friend and college buddy of mine named Bill Treasure, who's the CEO of Giant Leap Consulting. And so I I write a monthly uh, article for him. I do speeches or presentations in support of leadership workshops he does around the country. And and just recently uh, uh, co-authored a book with him that's due to rele- be released on 30 October of this year. So that's kind of the 30-second pitch. That's great. So uh, tell us about the book. Well, the book is called The Leadership Killer, Reclaiming Humility in an Age of Arrogance. And uh, Bill and I would be in touch when we were uh, getting preparations for my presentations to his workshops. And and we always seem to be sending, uh, reading an article almost on a weekly basis of some leader who uh, did something out of character or maybe stupid and uh, that kind of abused their leadership power and took advantage of the people that were working for him. And so uh, he asked me if I would write a book, and I said, absolutely. So we, we, uh, we talk about hubris. We identify hubris as the most uh, lethal leadership flaw and, uh, and how people use that to either become a bad leader or to uh, – how they can control their ego, check themselves, and still maintain their humility and still be a good leader. So we try to answer the question, um, how will I use my leadership power? And that's what the book is about. Sure. Well, I I definitely want that to be the theme of the show today. Um, Before we jump into it, can you give people a few of the the career highlights from the teams? I, uh, I did my buds training, graduated in 1985, and Spent, uh, did two uh, tours at SEAL Team 1, SEAL Team 3, did uh, numerous uh, deployments over to the Philippines at that time. And then I uh, 
I, I went to, uh, got assigned to the Naval Special Warfare Development Group and had a great two years there, uh, just having fun and doing some really neat things. Then I uh, got out, uh, all right, I went down to Panama, did uh, my first real leadership tour at a boat unit down there and and uh, learned a lot. And, uh, and then uh, got out of the Navy for about two and a half years and uh, started grad school, got bored, missed the Navy, came back in and, and then just got back in and did a, as I got more senior in rank, I did multiple staff tours at different locations around the world and uh, really highlighted by, uh, with the, uh, the post 9-11, I was in Bahrain and very, turned out to be a very busy time for us uh, for about a year and a half. And then, uh, so I got a lot of real time experience over there. And, uh, and then I did a couple deployments um, as I got more senior, which was pretty lucky, where I, uh, I got to uh, work overseas in the Philippines, uh, helping uh, the, the armed forces of the Philippines uh, defeat the terrorist threat that was over there. And we did a lot of uh, winning of hearts and minds over there. So that was a pretty good example of, of uh, uh, doing things uh, you always hear about winning hearts and minds. We did it very effectively over there, had a great strategy on how to do it. And then I, I think the highlight was, uh, I was the number two guy at a special operations task force that uh, closed down Iraq in um, 2011. And I was a senior CEO officer overseeing the uh, complete withdrawal of all gear and equipment uh, from the 10 years of war that had been ongoing. So that was, uh, and then, uh, Came back to Tampa, did my staff tour, and retired in uh, November 2014. Wow. So in the Philippines, was that kind of like after Abu Sayyaf had joined with ISIS, or what was going on over there? Well, I was over there in 2008 and uh, 2009, and so there was an identified threat over there, and and uh, mm. so there were – it was a kind of a training ground that led uh, – to Abu, Abu Sayyaf and a few others. And so we were helping, you know, we had s small st uh, special operations task force over there to uh, help train and assist the armed forces of Philippines as they um, countered that threat. But the big thing that we learned, and at least from my perspective over there, was the winning of the hearts and minds and really getting, you know, with the armed forces of Philippines forces out in the lead doing good stuff and us helping them out in any way we could and winning the hearts and minds of the people. And they really responded well to that because in some locations, uh, uh, the terrorist threat was uh, right in their own village and they had to be very careful. So that was, that was very cool. And I think the other good part of that tour was um, my primary job was I, um, I was, I spent my time in at the embassy, the U S embassy in uh, Manila. And I, was on a day-to-day -day interaction with the uh, ambassador and her staff, making sure they understood what we were doing and what they wanted, what their message was for the country. So working together, the State Department of Defense was kind of an interesting perspective that I had never dealt with, and it was, uh, it was a great learning experience. Sure. You know, um, I'd love to, obviously, there's only certain things you want to share, but this term, hearts and minds, it gets thrown around by the media, and it, it can be a pretty imprecise term. Um, when you think about the real value of 
of this, I mean, especially from a counterinsurgency standpoint, um, can you, for people who don't really understand what that's like on the ground, can you give people a sense of why it is, why, why it is just such an unfair advantage to have a population thinking positively about you? Well, I, I think in the Philippines, it was very important because with a very small force, even with the armed forces of the Philippines, there's 7,000 islands comprise um, the Philippines. And so um, we used we used the uh, the opportunities to maybe build a bridge or build a well to bring fresh water into a village that uh, hadn't had it before and was uh, in kind of in a threat area. And that got us into areas uh, that uh, we hadn't been in before. And so naturally, good working relationships, uh, working with the people, they, we start getting more information. They helped us out, um, you know, maybe where the bad guys were or what they've heard. And so it really helped on establishing the strategy and trying to counter the threat that was over there. You know, um, I, uh, I was lucky enough to, um, with my last uh, employer, I went over to, SOCOM took me over to Nigeria to mm-hmm. train um, when the Nigerian special operations got set up in the Nigerian army and I, a uh, 25 year seal came with me and we team taught together. And, uh, I guess I felt like I learned that to a deeper level when, when they were saying, you know, the guys I was teaching with, there was some, an SF guy and a force recon Marine talking about this idea of like, if you win the population, Boko Haram will not ruin your country, uh, nearly so much, but if the regular citizens feel like you're not any more likely to make their family happy and, and safe than Boko Haram is, you know, what's the big incentive for them to be passing on information to you, right? Right, right, exactly. And, it, and that was very important. We learned that in the Philippines. It, it was almost on a daily basis, you know, and like I said, it was just little stuff, you know, a well or a bridge or help repair a schoolhouse, uh, you know, get people out there, you know, uh, medical assist visits, things like that to counter some of the diseases that they had and, and didn't have the cures for, you know, just helping the people out and making their lives a little bit better was invaluable. And, uh, you know, and as much as we could do, um, we tried to do it. So I think it's, it was, to me, when I think of winning hearts and minds, I, I just revert right back to my time in the Philippines and how we coordinated successfully with, like I said, the State Department and USAID and all the agencies over there over to help and assist the, the Philippine uh, population. It was It was a total win for everybody. Love it. Well, listen, let's take a quick, uh, quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then I want to dive into the book some more. Okay, great. Okay, so John, right before the break, I was saying let let's let's dive into the book. I I would love to hear um, this subject. Uh, well, first of all, um, I think that it's great to have this subject when um, there is uh, such opportunity to not embrace humility when you are kind of top of the food chain and and you know being a seal um definitely in the department of defense you know it's like being a pro athlete people people whisper when you guys are coming over and and you know there's there's a lot of chances to feel important um can you talk about 
this approach and and uh, the idea of intentionally pursuing humility? Well, I mean, you make a good point because naturally when you come out of SEAL training and you go through the teams and go to different locations, you're, uh, you have a you have a big ego to begin with anyway. And so it only tends to get uh, morph more and more as you do more in advance and do some more uh, interesting and fun stuff. Um, what I, what I found very hard to do and, and it was, and takes a while and not everyone can do it well is in today's world of joint operations, you're working with uh, all services and you'll be working with conventional and un and unconventional units and and you have really have to find that happy medium towards mission accomplishment and so uh, sometimes yeah you have to check your ego everybody knows you're a seal and uh, they'll treat you accordingly but i think what you really gain the respect and uh, mission accomplishment is you know treating people like you want to be treated and not you know hey i'm a navy seal you, you'll do what i tell you or you know or I'll get, you know, I'll get in your face or something. It's just working together and uh, coming, kind of checking your egos and swallowing your pride a little bit and just working together with people to get the job done. And that's what I tried to do when I went overseas. Uh, I was very senior and often the only SEAL around. And so I had to mix very quickly uh, in with like I said, other conventional and unconventional units to um, do my job and uh, towards mission accomplishment. That's, that's, that's really the big thing of when I think about humility is just checking your ego and, you know, okay, we got to get this done. So let's just, let's just make it happen, you know? And so that's kind of how I approached it. Well, and I think for, for folks who are listening, who may not be, have as much of a background on how the military works. Like for, for you, not only as a SEAL, but as an 06, a captain, you know, not everybody is familiar with, you know, when you talk Navy speak, Air Force speak, everything to realize like that a captain is the army equivalent of a colonel. And, you know, this is not like regular corporate America where um, you ask nicely and if people don't like what you're doing, they just quit. Like where you can legally order people to do things. <laughs> you're, you're a captain and a SEAL, you know, there's... Um, there's plenty of uh, things in the system that would let you hold on to ego if you wanted to. Um, and so to me, that's why I'm impressed with, with making an entire book about this subject, because having spent years with, around your community, knowing that you don't necessarily have to, like in certain ways, there are definitely peers of yours who have gotten away with not intentionally pursuing this. Right. Um, and so... Like an example that comes to mind, we were talking about a couple of uh, 06s that we know in common before the show started. And I've been thinking about conversation with one of them who told me about how sometimes, you know, he's like, hey, listen, I don't, as a SEAL, we don't have any of our own bases. We don't have any of our own ships. Like by default, my operations are run out of somebody else's shop. And sometimes my guys would show up and it's like those cop shows where the locals are like, oh, great, the feds are here. And they they puff up and they're, this is my jurisdiction. And he said like, you know, his guys would show up somewhere and, and people would honestly almost get in their face and be like, you know, just so you know, this is our ship and you're not going to push us around. And he's like, you know, my guys are meat eaters. They're not floor mats. They haven't done anything. And this is what they're getting met with when they first show up. 
you know, yeah. like some humility yeah. is going to be needed to de-escalate here. I just, I think that's the natural <clears throat> of the military and the different organizations, definitely the different services. <clears throat> yes. You know, as, as a SEAL, as a special ops, we rely heavily on, especially the conventional side for logistical support, you know, moving us around things like that. And yeah, when you're dealing with other services, other agencies, people tend to maybe uh, get a little cocky and yes, throw, throw themselves in your face and, Everybody acts really a little differently. I, I kind of expected it, and I just came to uh, the way I dealt with it was uh, I let them have their thirty seconds, and then I look them in the eye and I said, "Are you done? Are you okay?" And let's get on with this, you know. <laughs> and I think if I kind of found that if I let them throw their thunder and they reminded me of who they were and what they did, uh, and tried to put a little levity into it. Uh, and not try to take myself so seriously that uh, we quickly came to a, uh, a good working relationship and, and we got things done. Because ultimately when you're overseas in a war zone, I mean, you got to check your egos. You got to swallow your pride. You know, there's lives at stake. There's things you got to do. And if you spend your time, you know, stroking each other's ego and telling each other who's who's got the biggest biceps, then nothing gets done. And uh so my my attitude was going is like everybody knew, yeah, I was a colonel or a cap, Navy captain. I was a SEAL, and that comes with a certain amount of authority. But I really tried just to learn people and treat them accordingly and not try to be the Navy SEAL, you know, in-their-face type of leadership. And it seemed to be very effective, and, and, I, and, it very, and I liked the way I did it, and, it, and I – and it seemed to do very well, especially when I had to deal with the special forces guys. <laughs> so. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, so uh, we, we can get we can get some interbranch rivalry going here. So, um, okay. but uh, I want to talk specifically about this because any one of us, you don't have to be a SEAL to have that not feel like a great experience. Like this is an extremely human interaction. When you show up somewhere, you have no previous experience with people, and and they're essentially accusing you of things. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like blame is leaking out, right? Yeah. And and there's such a natural human knee-jerk reaction to point fingers back when somebody points a finger at us, right? To, to, to uh, return what we've received, right? And right. so um, I'm interested... In, in just a couple more specifics about this, what you told yourself or, or how you got yourself to the habit of, of, you know, biting your tongue and letting them blow the steam out of their, <laughs> out of their pressure cooker or blow the wind out of their sails. Um, and then intentionally, you know, returning, returning bluster with a little bit of levity. Well, I think I, I, the one story I always remember is uh, I was on this staff uh, and we had, uh, we were prepping for a big exercise and, uh, some Marines, uh, rolled in and, uh, they wanted to take an asset that we had already laid on and had scheduled several events, uh, throughout the exercise that we needed. And they just wanted to take it, you know, it's like, Hey, we're here. We need it. Sorry, go do something else. And I, and I went in this room and there were about 15 Marines in there and it was me and, uh, <laughs> And they all, you know, they, you could see them. They all got up and they started uh, kind of 
flexing their chest and their muscles and, you know, like I'm a Marine, and, you know, we're going to kind of get out in my face. And, and I found the leader, uh, the guy that was in charge, a major, he was a major, I was a Lieutenant commander. So we were both e equal rank. And I said, uh, we, we need to sit down and talk. And the guy says, yeah, well, we're going to take your asset. It doesn't matter what, what you want to do. And I said, okay, <laughs> whatever, you know, let's, let's look at the schedule and see if we can make this work. And, uh, and he came back and I gave him his 30 seconds. And like I said, I looked him in the eye and I just said, are you okay? Are you good? And he kind of was taken aback. And I said, I think if we look at the schedule of events, we can make this work. And so we sat down just him and I, and everybody else kind of went off and did their thing. And, uh, we made it work. I mean, it turned out that, uh, we both could use the asset and uh, when we were done with it, the Marines could take it and use it for as much as time as they wanted. And it was just kind of, you know, just uh, defeating this initial bluster and just saying, okay, let's, let's make this happen, you know, cause clearly we didn't want to go back and I said, well, I'm going to tell my boss and you're going to tell your boss. And then do we really need to go can to uh, 04s make this work? You know, I mean, that's our job. So, uh, so I didn't take their bluster too seriously, but I gave him the opportunity to kind of, um, do it. And, uh, once he was done, we both, uh, worked very well together and, and it came off successfully. So I kind of based that on everything I did, especially, especially with when the war started and found myself, uh, like I was saying in many joint environments, joint opportunities, uh, especially when I did a job in support of a special forces group, uh, I was surrounded by, um, army SF guys and, I needed to blend in very quickly and I had to prove my credibility to those guys. And I could walk around saying, you know, I'm a Navy SEAL, leave me alone. Uh, but it didn't, didn't work that well. And those guys didn't respond to that very well. So I just, I carried over that, refined it a little bit as I got more advanced in my career and, and just said, Hey, look, let's make this work. You know, this is my job. This is what I got to do. Let's make this happen. You know, so that's kind of how I did it. You know, work for me. Yeah. I love it. Well, um, I think this is a great place to end for part one of the episode. Everybody, please turn back in. We're going we're gonna to hear more of uh, John's stories. And I want to hear where the nickname Coach came from. So we'll see, if, we'll see if we get that out of him. So everybody, please tune back in. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.